a native speaker featuring this podcast episode. Hello everyone, especially the listeners of this podcast, of course. I don't know why I would be greeting anyone else at this point. How are you? I hope you are fine. I'm okay, I'm decent. The academic year has officially ended. I had a graduation ceremony yesterday and, well, let's say I've got one month to to pull myself together and to see where it takes me next, what further adventures lie ahead of me, no one knows. It's up in the air, we will see what happens. I've got some ideas, I've got some ideas, but I don't want to talk about it yet. Okay, I just want to see what happens. Of course, I'm going to be in England in July, as I always am, to teach at a language school. But uh, after that, well, 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 who knows? Now, this episode is going to be about pronunciation. That's right, pronunciation. It's actually a pronunciation analysis. I haven't uh, done an analysis episode for a while. I am a big fan of those. I like to pick apart the language as much as I possibly can. And I hope you guys find it useful. I think pronunciation itself is not really focused enough in in the English classroom. Uh, not in, in podcasts, not in my podcast. I think it deserves more attention. And I think there are some myths and fallacies regarding uh, pronunciation being taught by non-native English speaker teachers such as myself. And what I would like to do is I would like to basically debunk these myths and fallacies. Uh, one of the fallacies is that... Um, A non-native English teacher cannot be a good model of pronunciation to the students. I don't think this is necessarily true. Now, I'm convinced there are some uh, non-native English teachers whose accent and uh, ability to replicate a native-like pronunciation is, uh, is, let's say, below par. It's not good enough. But, at the same time, you've got some native speakers who are just not uh, the most efficient or the most ideal model for the students. I'm speaking about, um, I'm speaking about teachers who, make, who may have accents such as Glaswegian or Jordi, or accents which are very, very, let's say, strong. Whereas, when you teach English to your students, uh, you actually kind of need a standard British accent or, or let's say, you have to be intelligible, you know? You have to be easily understood by your students. And if this is not the case, then the students are those that have to pay for it. Uh, they are the, uh, those that are harmed in the end. So, it's not that easy as it may seem. And I think there are some non-native English teachers who can do this. I would like to think that I'm one of those teachers, but you will be the judge of that. 
you can judge me based on this episode or any episodes I've recorded in the past. Obviously, uh, when I'm tired, my accent actually deteriorates. It, it, it gets worse. But if I focus, I think I can replicate a, a good standard British dialect, which is something that I, I hope is uh, highly appreciated by you and um, which is the standard that I would like to have here on the next English podcast, of course. Now, I said this will be pronunciation analysis, but you might be wondering, uh, pronunciation analysis of what? Well, um, I decided to take um, as, my, as my material, I decided to take uh, Claire's podcast. Claire, uh, a friend of this podcast, um, has got her own podcast. I think I have mentioned it before. Uh, it's called Not That Deep, and you can find it on SoundCloud. Just just type in Not That Deep, and you will find her podcast. It is a podcast about fandom. So we are speaking we are um, speaking about books, films, TV shows, and things like that. And uh, it's not just Claire that appears on this podcast. Uh, she she has got a few co-hosts, and uh, that would be her siblings, namely Lizzie and Thomas. And in this particular episode, which I chose as source material, because um, you can't really uh, analyze anything without having some sort of discourse. So this is my discourse, this is my material. It's it's audio recording in this case. And uh, she, um, uh, Claire, Lizzie and Thomas, uh, the usual hosts of this podcast, are joined by Rachel for this specific episode. And that's because Rachel... Uh, appears to be uh, an expert on this particular topic in this specific episode. What is this episode about? It's about none other than Doctor Who. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Doctor Who, a phenomenon of British culture, a famous TV show. Doctor Who is obviously a character from uh, that TV show, so it has got... the, 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 The name of the TV show is after this Doctor Who is an alien from uh, another planet. He's a time lord that travels in uh, what's what's basically called TARDIS. TARDIS is like a phone box, which looks like a London phone box. And uh, the uh, Do- Doctor Who is trying to save the world, and especially, especially uh, London specifically, and Great Britain from um, alien invasion and things like that. And uh, he fights against Daleks, you know, exterminate, exterminate those monsters Uh, they look like robots that you may already be familiar with so this episode is about Doctor Who and uh, there are different sorts of episodes on Not Not That Deep podcast and I chose this one because um, I have seen Doctor Who I've seen um, a few seasons I haven't seen the whole show yet I mean it's still it's still ongoing it hasn't ended yet but I have to say I'm not up to date with the two latest epi- uh, two, two latest seasons. So I haven't seen uh, the female Doctor and haven't seen Peter Capaldi yet. I have to catch up on that. And hopefully I will manage to do that sooner rather, rather than later. Because I do really like this show. Um, I think it's cool. It's funny. It's, it's science fiction at its best. And also Doctor Who... Is famous because it's been around for quite a while. So what I'm going to do in this episode, I'm going to uh, basically uh, play you an extract 
uh, a clip or excerpt from uh, from this podcast episode recorded by Claire, Lizzie, Thomas and Rachel, about 10 minutes or so. So first you will hear the whole thing uh, in one go and then I'll go through a few specific points uh, where I will be basically looking at various aspects of pronunciation um, so I'll be trying to pick apart the language as it's spoken naturally by uh, these four people that I mentioned. Um, so I'll be looking at contractions, individual sounds, stress patterns. Um, I think I might say something about intonation, linking, sound omissions, um, silent letters, things like that. I'm not really sure yet, but um, it's, it's going to be about 12 to 15 points. And hopefully uh, it will be interesting for you. It certainly is interesting for me because not only do I know Claire in person, which is already an uh, interesting thing, I believe, but also, um, like I said, I like I said before on this podcast, I happen to be sort of a language geek. I like to look at linguistics. So that's what's happening in this episode. Now, little caveat, little warning, little heads up. It may happen that you may not always be able to follow what they are talking about. I think the quality of this recording is good and they certainly are um, eloquent and well-spoken and um, articulate speakers of English or users of English. That's not a problem. But the thing is, like, this episode seems to be a little bit geeky. They talk about a lot of things that may not be familiar to you that I myself at times struggled to understand. That's because there are a lot of references. Uh, there are some names, even like place names and things like that. So, so to fully appreciate this episode, you really have to be a little bit geeky. You have to be a bit nerdy and know um, all the characters from the Doctor Who and all the locations where they were shot, uh, where the episodes were shot and so on. Anyway, I still think despite these little nuances i still think this is this can be a valuable episode for you and i i sincerely hope that uh, you will find it useful and interesting you've been listening to zdenex english podcast a podcast with less change than anyone would expect so here is 10 minutes from not that deep podcast and don't forget that after that a language analysis will follow To it's not that deep a podcast where we provide hot takes on popular tv shows i'm thomas and i'm joined by my sisters claire and izzy but also by our first ever guest on the show rachel say hi rachel hello so in this episode we're providing our hot takes on doctor who the popular british sci-fi tv show but claire and izzy and i although we know the theme tune, we aren't long-time fans of the show which is where Rachel comes in, because Rachel is 
uh, fan of the show and has been for many years. So I'm going to ask Claire and Izzy as the strangers to the show of the bunch to tell us what it's about. And then Rachel, you can fill us in with the expert knowledge on anything they missed. So Claire and Izzy together explain what Doctor Who is. Okay. Doctor Who is the most iconic cultural export of these fair isles of Britain, with the possible exception of Harry Potter. In fact, probably our our main export. Um, It started in like the 60s, 70s? 1963. 1963. It started in 1963. Uh, Then it stopped for a long time. Then it got rebooted in... Before reboots were cool. Sometime before mm. reboots it, were called. Two th- 2005 was the reboot. Yes, mm. in 2005. It is about an, a humanoid alien who travels through all of time and space with a busty companion uh, fighting evil aliens and solving mysteries and so on and so forth. And for some reason he has a fascination with London and other UK cities despite having access to all of time and space. Uh, Rachel... Is there anything that these guys have missed that is vital to understanding Doctor Who? I think that is it fundamentally. He is also very fond of Cardiff, coincidentally, where the BBC has offices. Ah. And recently Sheffield. Was it Huddersfield or Sheffield? Sheffield. It is It is moved up north now. Ooh. Hang on, is that where the BBC offices are now? Um, I don't know, but it is where where all the main cast are located. Rachel, are are BBC offices in Sheffield now? Is that a thing? I don't know. I didn't think so. I thought that was a deliberate decision, partly because um, Jodie Whittaker is from Yorkshire and is using her Yorkshire accent. That's great. So they were Uh, basing it up north now, which is really nice. Um, I remember a pretty good Cardiff-based episode where Doctor Who tracks down this alien who in an earlier episode was totally down with like destroying humanity and now she's posing as the mayor of Cardiff and they have dinner together and she tells him all about the graphic way that she will be executed by her race if he hands her over and she's all yeah legally you should arrest me and hand me over because I tried to destroy the earth but um, do you really want me to be dissolved in acid and alive for the whole process is that ethical doctor and doctor who's kind of like no it's really not Ah!" the doctor has this problem which is that he or now she wants, wants to do the right thing but always ends up in situations where that is really difficult um and so I think because the, the current series is the one that we want to focus this episode on, so that's the one that I'm going to um, sort of start us talking about now, but I do want to come back to sort of the broader adventures of the Doctor and how each different incarnation, because the Doctor has been played by many different actors over um, his illustrious career. Um, so what want to talk about what those different actors bring to the table um, in, in portraying this alien. But first, um, Rachel, tell us about the current season, how it starts, what makes it different. Okay, well, the big difference is that the Doctor is, for the first time, a woman. So the the Doctor is an alien who can regenerate their body 
um, whenever they reach the end of their natural lifespan or get injured and technically isn't human and doesn't have a human gender. So given that the Doctor's body can change every every time, it's very surprising that the Doctor coincidentally has not changed into a woman so far. Or so. a non-white man, in fact. I guess media can never be truly free from the prejudices of the culture in which it is created. Yep, or something. that is true. <laughs> but one thing I like about the most recent series and also the series before that with Peter Capaldi and um, his companion Bill was that they're making a positive effort to try and change the way they've been going. Um, Stephen Moffat actually said, Stephen Moffat was the showrunner um, before Chris Chibnall and he did the last series and he actually said in an interview that he'd seen the criticism he'd had for, you know, being a bit of a misogynist and always having white companions and he'd made an active decision to try and diversify the show and include a black lesbian companion in Bill and now they're continuing this trend very deliberately I think by having Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor and then having three companions two of whom are people of colour. Mm-hmm. So as as previously mentioned the Doctor always travels around with human uh, companions from present day earth who sort of act as the um audience proxy who are there to ask the ask the questions that normal humans would ask um so that we understand what's going on um and this current crop of companions we have three of them which rachel is that the most there's ever been at once um companions yeah (laughs) that is the most in um the first season of new who there was a point where rose um, her boyfriend Mickey and Jack Harkness were all companions of the Doctor, but that was a couple of episodes, and Rose was still very much the main companion. And Jack Harkness was sort of more on the Doctor's level as being somebody who was also capable of travelling through space, so it wasn't quite the same vibe. He he wasn't quite an audience proxy, because he sort of knew about stuff that humans don't. He wasn't in the position of he's completely new to space travel, he's from the future, but he was also still much less powerful than the Doctor and didn't really have access to space travel the same way that the Doctor did. And Mickey mm-hmm. wasn't exactly an audience proxy so much as a butt monkey. So I, yeah. Had, yeah. I hadn't heard this stuff about Moffat um, sort of actually accepting criticism, and that cheers me up a lot because I know we, we rant a lot in we hate about on him. Moffat, who's a sort of yeah. giant of British television, also in charge of Sherlock, right? Yeah. Sherlock yeah, with Benedict Cumberbatch, famous for writing good episodes and bad series. That is pretty much the case with Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who as well. Um, so is he still head writer on Doctor Who? He has left. So what what do we think of these current companions? Because I sort of like them. And, but... and what do we think of Jodie Whittaker herself as the Doctor as well? I really like her as the Doctor. She's badass. I love her. Oh, but by the way, huge spoilers. Um... Spoilers as always. Basically the whole of Doctor Who. We all thought the woman who fell to Earth was going to refer to the Doctor. Oh man. Nah. Wait, Um, it didn't? No, it was Ryan's gran who fell and died at the end of the episode. Oh, Snapples! So when she died, it wasn't the stupidest death ever? Uh, I mean, I guess the title... It was still the stupidest death ever. The title just had a double meaning in it. Yeah, Um, can... Can I just complain about the framing device of that episode and the uh, and the 
death of of um Grace, was it? Grace? Um so I So um this this companion, Ryan, had a grandmother, Grace, who died in the first episode of this new season. She was fridged, as we call it, so that his adopted grandfather and Ryan himself could kind of spend the rest of the season learning to deal with her death. So that's kind of why she died, and it kind of sucks. I didn't really see her death as a necessary inciting incident. Yeah. Like, it seemed to me they no. they were all interested in adventure and helping the Doctor anyway. And because she died attacking an alien that wasn't actually creating a threat at that time, it just seemed like the most pointless death. I mean, I know in, in real life, she wouldn't have realised that the alien wasn't a threat because it could have been a threat, and people do die pointlessly in real life, but I expect everything to hook up better in a TV show. Yeah, I, I that's basically how I feel. Could she not have, like, been injured or something? But she just straight up dead. Set up this, this I, cool I appreciate the idea of what, wanting to have a tragic death in the family set up the arcs for the characters for the rest of the season, but it just could have been done a lot more, like... Sensibly. Like by making those G- DNA bombs go off and turning them into an actual threat. Yeah, there, there was just... And I, I think so far in this season, that's kind of a, an issue, is that there's sort of a lot of threads and little sort of plot hooks and things that don't end up going anywhere, like the, these DNA bombs that the main villain of the first episode has implanted in the heroes. That, okay, admittedly, they end up implanting them in him instead. But- my question is, if you wanted to use the bombs to get rid of witnesses, why would you not activate them immediately? What's the point of killing your witnesses yeah, exactly. 24 hours later after they've had time to talk to a bunch of people? So, what's going on here? What's happening? Well, the first item on the list is we're. So, I'm going to play a short clip from the recording that you've just heard. A very short one to illustrate what I would like to look at. So, in this episode, we're providing our hot takes on Doctor Who. So, here I'm looking at contractions. Thomas said, in this episode, we are providing our hot takes uh, on Doctor Who, and mm, I like the way he used we So, a lot of students, I have been there myself, I have to say, um, tend to pronounce every single word in isolation. 
Like a lot of students would pronounce it, we are providing our hot takes. That's because it's easier, obviously. And you have to get used to using these contractions. So we are is contracted into we're. Um, this is classic thing to do for native speakers. They economize the language. They, they try to speak faster to, in order to save time and things like that. There are obviously more things you can contract in English language. I'm going to give you a few examples now. Um, oh, actually, you know what? I could actually ask you to work it out by yourselves. I'm sure you have enough experience to do this by yourselves. So how would you say, um, with a contraction, how would you say, we are doing it? How would you say, he is doing it? How would you say, we will do it? How would you say, they would do it? How would you say, I have done it? How would you say, we are not doing it? Well, normally I would give you a bit of time to think and to do this exercise. But in this case, what you can do is just to press pause and try to work it out. Um, it's no use putting in a pause in a podcast because you might get bored or fall asleep or something. So here are the answers. We're doing it. He's doing it. We'll do it. He'd do it. I've done it. And we aren't doing it. So as you can see, it's much more efficient. It's much faster to pronounce. And this is how native speakers speak. So if you want to get closer to native-like pronunciation, you might as well start using the contractions. By the way, if you're wondering what a hot take is, I was wondering about this myself, uh, I had to look it up. Well, a hot take is a piece of commentary typically produced quickly in response to a recent event. At least that's the definition that I found on Google. But uh, essentially, it's, it's an opinion on something. Um, these guys are basically providing their hot takes, their opinions, um, a little commentary on Doctor Who. Okay, so that's that. I won't be explaining the vocabulary, by the way, in this episode. That's not the focus here. The focus is, of course, the pronunciation. So here is another one. Sci-fi TV show. But Claire and Lizzie and I, although we know the theme to them, we aren't long-time fans of the show. Which is where Rachel comes in, because Rachel is a fan of the show and has been for many years. What a funny clip this is, right? By the way, I did not mean this to sound sarcastic. Not at all. I, I do mean it. It's, um, it's a hilarious piece of clip. And uh, what I'm looking at here is quite interesting. It's something that is called emphatic stress. I hope you don't think I'm pretentious. I hope you don't think I'm showing off my a linguistic terminology or something, but that's what this is called, emphatic stress. And this is basically when we stress the word in a, a slightly unusual way. It's something that is not normal, uh, neutral. I mean, it's not neutral, but instead it's emphatic stress. So to be more specific, um, Thomas said Rachel is fan of the podcast. This is where Rachel comes in, because Rachel is the fan of this podcast. So you could say, this is where Rachel comes in, or you can say, this is where Rachel comes in. And you can say, uh, Rachel is the fan of this podcast, or you can say, Rachel is the fan of the podcast. Can you hear the difference? It's like you give it extra emphasis. 
you know, you, 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 you sort of pronounce it louder. It's more, it sounds more prominent or something like that. And this is quite a, a useful thing to do in an English language. And again, something that students don't do enough. Um, basically, in English, what you can do, it's quite flexible in terms of this because because what you can do is you can emphasize in this kind of way pretty much any um, pretty much any word yeah that's right let's say mm, let's let me give you an example uh, I have been recording Zenex English podcast for more than six years okay that's a sentence so I can say I have been recording Zenex English podcast for more than six years or I can say I have been recording Zenex English podcast for more than six years or I can say, I have been recording uh, Zdenex English podcast for more than six years. I can say, I have been recording Zdenex English podcast for more than six years. Or I can say, I've been recording Zdenex English podcast for more than six years. Or I can say, I've been recording Zdenex English podcast for more than six years. Or I can say, uh, I can't talk anymore. Or I can say, I've been recording Zdenex English podcast for more than six years. Uh, I can say, I've been recording Zdenex English podcast for more than six years. So, what I'm trying to prove here is that you can emphasize in this sort of way any English word pretty much. And uh, how do you decide? Well, you decide. Um, how do you decide? Well, it's, it's about what you want to uh, stress out, really. What you want to, what you consider important in that moment. So, if I say, for example, I have been recording the next English podcast for more than six years, I could say that because. Somebody somebody said that it was someone else. So I would like to uh, basically fix that by saying I have been recording it, not, not anyone else. And if I say I've been recording it, that's pretty much saying I haven't been doing anything else with this. I've been recording it. Okay. And if I say it's, I've been recording it for more than six years, that's maybe, um, that's maybe um, editing what I previously said in a wrong way. I may have said I've been recording it for 10 years and someone else said it. Anyway, anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm making my point very well here, but I think you know what I mean, right? Let's move on. So I'm going to ask Claire and Izzy as the strangers to the show. I don't know. I didn't think so. I thought that was a deliberate decision. What do these two little clips have in common? Well. Um, in both cases, um, the speakers use the diphthong O. What is a diphthong? Well, diphthong is like double vowel, you know, vowel. So you have got a, u, and it's pronounced as O, basically. Um, it glides from a to u, o. And this is a, a diphthong used by uh, British English speakers, especially the posh ones, or, or those that speak with received pronunciation. So, home, go, throw, oh no, blow. Also, which was in the example, and home, I believe, uh, I don't, oh, I don't know, which was in the second one. Of course, of course, there are some variations of different accents. I believe in American English, they don't really use this diphthong that much. They don't, they would say, go home, phone. They wouldn't say go home phone. The more posh you are, the posher you are, uh, you, you the the more you would pronounce uh, O in this kind of way. Like for example, Jacob Rees-Mogg. 
uh, my least favorite politician in the current British Parliament. Uh, he definitely does speak like that. But it's quite an interesting feature of English pronunciation. And if you want to sound um, well, well, you can pronounce it like go home. And if you overdo it, go home, then uh, you are a bit too posh. So I don't recommend doing that. It might sound a bit silly. But here we go. Yes. Okay. Doctor Who is the most iconic cultural export of these fair isles of Britain. So now let's have a look at this word iconic, which is an interesting word, certainly is, and uh, the way it's pronounced. Where does the stress actually go? So if you have got words which have more than one syllable, in this case you have iconic, so three syllables, um, there is always one syllable which carries the main stress. There's always one. In some languages, it's always the first syllable. For example, in my language, in Czech, it's always the first syllable that carries the main stress. However, that's not how it works in English. Unfortunately, it's more complicated. Often it's the first one. I think in, in, in vast majority of cases, like, I don't know, is it like 70%? I think if, if you are a linguist, you might find out by searching in the corpus, in the national corpus. But uh, I believe uh, the first syllable is prevalent, uh, prevalent, prevalently stressed. But there are a lot of cases of words which have the stress on the second, third, fourth, or sometimes even the fifth syllable. And um, this word iconic is not different. So iconic. Where does the stress go? The way I'm pronouncing it, iconic. I'm not pronouncing it iconic. Uh, I'm not pronouncing it iconic. Uh, Claire pronounced it as iconic, which is the correct pronunciation, because obviously Claire is British and she can speak English well. So we're not surprised she knows how to pronounce it, are we? Now, is there any sort of rule or do I have to actually remember when I learn a new word where the stress goes? What do you think? Actually, there is a rule for this, listeners. This is not always the case, but here we get lucky. The words like iconic, ironic, poetic, periodic, anesthetic, patriotic, athletic, xenophobic, psychotic, civic, graphic, sympathetic. All these words and in ik, which is the suffix, that gives us some sort of a rule. Most of these, I think, were adjectives, by the way. So it's it's a rule for adjectives ending in ik, in ic. And whenever an adjective ends in ic like that, uh, the stress falls on the second syllable from the right. So if you have the word like poetic, so po-a-tic, three syllables, and it ends with in ik, then you know that the second one from the right, a, the syllable a, must be stressed. So you have to say poetic. So look at patriotic. Um, patriotic, four syllables. And again, it's the, uh, it's the second one from the right. Patrio patriotic, patriotic. So o is stressed. Again, anesthetic. Anesthetic, four syllables. Ste is stressed. So I hope um, 
this tip is useful for you. Um, if, uh, if you think this is not useful, then of course, that's your opinion. I'm not going to uh, refute it. Uh, you're entitled to your own opinion, of course, listeners. I don't care what you think. Of course I would like to. I would like you to agree with me on every single matter, but if it can't happen, well, we have to move on, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, if you think it's not useful basically learning these rules, you might be right. It could be um, more useful to just use the technique of shadowing or to just listen to a lot of English, to have a lot of exposure to English language and just then just imitate or just basically learn by being exposed to it. But sometimes it's interesting to take a look at this. You might um, see it from a different angle and it might help you understand it a bit more. So that's it. That's the stress of the adjectives ending in IC. With the possible exception of Harry Potter, in fact, probably our, our main export. Hmm, this is something you might not be aware of. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you've heard about individual sounds. I'm sure you've, you've heard about stress and so on. But have you heard about a phenomenon of a reduced syllable, of a vanishing syllable? I'm not sure. So here what Claire said is, with a possible e exception of probably, instead of probably, she said probably, probably or probably or something like that. Basically, instead of three syllables, probably, probably, she said probably, probably, I think it was. So she reduced the word to just two syllables, which is really an interesting phenomenon that happens in English language. Again, the reason is to just save time, you know, to be more efficient, to be faster. And this sometimes means that we don't understand what native speakers say. So which words does this happen to? Um, it's, I guess, words which have more than two syllables. Uh, words such as probably, which I have already uh, shown you on Claire's example, but also history, um, comfortable, please, camera, obviously, family, vegetable, opera. So, probably, probably, history, history, comfortable, comfortable, even though nobody says comfortable really, so it's comfortable, please, please. It's just one syllable actually. Camera, camera, obviously, obviously, family, family, vegetable, vegetable, opera, opera. So <laughs> I think um, most um, British English speakers um, reduce the syllables in these words, actually. They would pronounce it uh, in that shorter version. So try to learn to pronounce it in, in, in this kind of way. But I think if, if you can't do it, I think the, uh, that you will still be understood. So it's, it's um, I think it's less important than it, it might be. But it's an interesting linguistic point regardless. So I thought I might as well show you, right? Uh, okay, so yeah, that's that. Uh, then it stopped for a long time. He is also very fond of Cardiff. 
coincidentally where the BBC has offices. So here basically we are looking at what's called the weak forms. Essentially, certain words which are, the, which are grammatical, such as uh, prepositions or modal verbs or auxiliary verbs, um, they have two different ways we can pronounce them. Uh, the strong forms and the weak forms. For example, uh, let's have a look at the prepositions that were used in these two little clips. For, of. So that's the strong form of these two prepositions. But uh, the speakers in these two clips use the prepositions in the weak forms. And the pronunciation is of and fur. So we are using the schwa sound, uh, uh, the same applies to modal verbs. So you can say, I can do it, or you can say, I can do it. Uh, must, I must go home, instead of I must go home. I must go home, uh, must, can. All right, everything clear so far? I hope it's making sense. Again, if you want to sound more like a native speaker, you might as well start using these weak forms. Jodie Whittaker is from Yorkshire and is using her Yorkshire accent. I do want to come back to sort of the broader adventures. So here in this little clip, I would like to draw your attention to a sound, accent, a. Um, I chose this word specifically because I personally think that I could use some work on this one. Um, that's because we don't have this sound in Czech. Uh, we have a. So a lot of students that come from the Czech Republic um, would like uh, would normally read the word cat instead of cat. You know, it's it's the correct pronunciation should be cat, not cat. If anybody didn't get it, I'm obviously talking about the feline animal that we all love to have in our home. We are either dog or cat people. Who are you? I'm a cat person personally, and uh, I don't know why, but I just like cats more than dogs. Oh, by the way, the second example that Thomas used, I do want to come back to sort of broader adventures. I do want to come back to. The Czech people would just pronounce it as I would like to come back to. I think it's okay because it's very similar. But to be honest, if you want to sound more like a native speaker, you should say I would like to come back to. Come back, back. You have to open your mouth a bit more than with uh, the Czech eh. It's just ah. By the way, I say check air, but this air sound obviously is in English too. For example, you sleep in your bed, right? But if you think something isn't good, you say it's bad, bad, right? So here you can hear the difference. Doctor Who tracks down this alien who in an earlier episode was totally down with like destroying humanity. An alien was totally down with destroying humanity. So I'm looking at the word humanity, and again, I'm looking at which syllable in the word is stressed. And in this case, it's the suffix iti, which is used for creating nouns. So whenever you have the iti suffix to create nouns, such as quantity, inability, sanity, insanity, profanity, calamity, technicality, creativity, anonymity, um, immortality, sensibility, flexibility, and so on and so forth. Um, basically, the stress goes onto the third syllable from the right. So we can have a look at the word humanity. 
humanity, four syllables, and ma is stressed, which is the third syllable from the left. So that's quite a useful rule to know. It's a, it's a rule of thumb. She will be executed by her race if he hands her over. I do want to come back to sort of the broader adventures of the Doctor and how... The Doctor is an alien who can regenerate their body. So here we are looking at an interesting phenomenon that happens when you have two words. The first word ends with a vowel sound, whereas the second one starts with a vowel sound. So whenever that happens in English, there's a chance that you have got a linking sound. And in this particular case, we are looking at linking R. So, um, hand her over. Yeah. So, hand her over. Her ends with er, which is a vowel sound. O is a diphthong. It's a vowel. Uh, o. Her over. Hands her over. Do you, do you get it? Basically, there is an extra R sound. It's called the linking R. If you pronounce the words in isolation, her over, in British English, in American English, you would have her, so there is the R, but in British English, it's, it's uh, without R sound, basically. But if you read these words quickly, uh, her over, her over, you, have, you, you can have an extra R there. It's called the linking R. And another example that we had here was Dr. Is. The doctor is an alien who regenerates, I think it was. The doctor is, again, a doctor ends with a schwa vowel sound. Is, obviously starts with e sound. Doctor is, doctor is, the doctor is an alien, okay? Um, also, it happens, for example, in expressions like I saw it, I saw it, yeah? There are, there are, there are, yeah, and so on and so forth. Fascinating, isn't it? Wants to do the right thing, but always ends up in situations where that is really difficult. Because the, the current series is the one that we want to focus this episode on, so to start us talking about now, but each different incarnation. The big difference is that the Doctor is, for the first time, a woman. One thing I like about the most recent series, and also the series before that with Peter Capaldi, and um, his companion Bill was that they're making a positive effort to try and... So here we are dealing with elision. Do you know what that is? Do you know what elision is? Basically, elision is omission of a sound. And in English, this typically happens with the sound t. Um, in these five little clips, we had examples of difficult, elided into difficult, current, current, um, current series, the example was current series, also but and effort, I think it was. I hope I haven't forgotten about anything. Um, yep, that's that. Why does this happen? Well, I guess just because the native speakers are a bit lazy, a bit lazy. I'm a hypocrite, aren't I? I said the native speakers are a bit lazy, but I'm not a native speaker. So I must be a hypocrite then. That's my logical conclusion I draw from this. Stephen Moffat was the showrunner um, before Chris Chibnall and he did the last series and he actually said in an interview that he'd seen the criticism he'd had 
for, you know, being a bit of a misogynist and always having white companions. And he'd made an active decision to try and diversify the show and include a black lesbian companion in Bill. And now they're continuing this trend. So what's going on here? Basically, I'm looking at the pronunciation of head when it's contracted and used in um, present, uh, sorry, past perfect. It's quite difficult to hear sometimes, and you need a bit of experience to realize how this grammar is actually used. Essentially, this is what we call a reported speech. And there was a sentence um, that uh, the speaker used. I think it was Lizzie or Rachel, one of these two anyway. And she said, the showrunner actually said in an interview, he had seen the criticism he had had. The reason we use past perfect is because he saw it before he said it. Um, he had the criticism before he saw it and before he said it. Does it make any sense? Basically, there is um, chronology as to how it all happened. And when dealing with reported speech, we have to be careful and shift the time back. So uh, there was one more example. He had made an active decision to diversify the show. He'd made, he had made, is contracted into he'd made, yeah? There's a difference between he made an active decision and he'd made an active decision. He made an active decision is just a sentence in the past simple tense, whereas he had made an active decision is a sentence in, it's, it, <coughs> let me start that sentence again, is a sentence in past perfect tense. And the reason we use past perfect tense is because we want to show that something happened before the main timeline or before the the main ac uh, before the main action okay so yeah that's that the, the pronunciation of t in uh, past perfect tense really interesting stuff absolutely riveting isn't it very deliberately i think by having jodie whittaker as the doctor and then having three companions two of whom are people of color Right, so this one is actually a bit of cheating because I said this is pronunciation analysis, but I thought, why not include uh, people of color as an expression here? Because I think it's a, it's a wonderful expression which we should all be aware of. Now, that's because it's really, really easy these days to make a mistake in political correctness and you should be really careful uh, how to talk about uh let's say, non-white people these days, because uh, it's easy to offend someone, insult. Uh, some people say that uh, it's, been, it's, it's been taken too far. I don't know. I, I, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with being politically correct. And, uh, well, basically, why not be nice, you know? So people of color, it's a um, politically correct way to refer to non-white people, basically. Um, you see, I have come across in my classes with several ins instances of using culturally insensitive way of referring to, let's say, black people. Some of my students have used the N-word in the past, and it was quite embarrassing. Like, there were no black people involved in that lesson, but imagine they say it to them when they speak to them. I think it's just something that the students have to be taught. The students have to be taught the, uh, the cultural things as well, you know. Um, so this is a very nice expression, people of color, something that I've, I am going to 
include in my own lexicon. So sorry about including this one, even though it has nothing to do with pronunciation, really. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, I mean, I guess the title, it was still the stupidest death ever. It just seemed like the most pointless death. Could she not have, like, been injured or something? But she just threw up dead. So... Guess what we are looking at here in our last point of this language analysis. I hope you have been enjoying it. I hope it has been useful to you so far and you've learned something new. So what's the last point? Well, it's uh, the word death and dead and the way uh, these two words um, should be pronounced. Now, why did I decide to go for this one? Well, that's because, again, my students often mispronounce these two words and confuse, confuse them with one another. So here you had some examples of how these words should be pronounced, obviously. And the reason there is often a problem is because death and dead sound very similar. They are minimal pairs. Minimal pairs are two words uh, which differ in exactly one sound. There are more minimal pairs to these two words, dead and death. For example, deaf. Deaf is, if, if you're deaf, then you can't hear anything. If you're dead, well, that, that means that you're not alive. And death is just a noun. You know, death. It was the most pointless death. So uh, somebody died in vain. Like, uh, you know, if you don't die a hero, that's, that's a pointless death, right? So... I've been Zdenek. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Don't forget that you can listen to this entire episode that my friend Claire and her siblings and uh, Rachel recorded. Uh, obviously, you can find the podcast on on uh, SoundCloud. So go to soundcloud.com and type in Not That Deep. You should be able to find it. There is another podcast that is called in, in a similar way. So... Just keep searching, you know, have a bit of patience, just like you've had patience listening to this podcast. And, um, well, your reward is that you have made it to the end and you can be proud of yourselves and hopefully you've learned something new. Please do let me know what you thought about this episode. Um, I prepared it quite well, I have to say. It took me some time. I can't always justify doing episodes like this because it takes a lot of time. It's quite time-consuming. But... From time to time, why not? I like um, looking at the language, like I said. Um, so, that's it. That's all from me. Until next time, bye! Thanks a lot for listening. For more information, go to Zdenek's English Podcast Facebook group or visit zdenek'senglishpodcast.podbean.com.